Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Oklahoma Sooner in ah. Nebraska? <laughs> yeah, man. Sooner Nation all the way up here in Nebraska and Omaha. How about that, right? I couldn't wait to uh, get together with you on this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast because I knew you were going to be absolutely giddy over your Sooners winning yesterday. And as a result of my Georgia Bulldogs losing, yeah. by default, you guys are now officially. Yes. Part of the college football playoff four, right? Matched yeah. up against Yeah, number Bama. four with matchup matchup. The matchup is against Alabama. I'm excited. I uh, excited to see what we can do. I feel really, really good about it. Um, man, if if it begins to be a shootout, we'll we'll get to see, you know, Heisman Trophy candidate versus Heisman Trophy candidate. Of course they will have announced it at that point and uh yeah. by that point and uh we'll see we'll see what that what that bears out but man it, it's gonna be fun I, I i love college football for this reason on any given day somebody can be beaten and uh man it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be a fun matchup man it really is yeah you and i were talking off the air and uh just for the listeners who may care <laughs> about what we might think about this uh we've both got oklahoma beating alabama uh right. i won't delve in and uh Going to details, you and I were talking about schemas, pros, and right, cons, right. advantages and disadvantages of both teams. Right. But let's just uh, suffice it to say that uh, we, we know Alabama would probably be favored, but uh, I'm going to go mm-hmm. with uh, Oklahoma in this one. I'm going to go with your Sooners, man. So yep. we'll see what happens. We'll see yeah. what happens, man, when they, uh, when they uh, put toe to leather, as they say. Right, right, right. I can't wait, man. It's going to be a great matchup. Yesterday was a great fun day to watch watch football for the most part. Of course, those you know who, who Georgia fans who who saw it come at the end. How how about Jalen Hurt coming in at the end of it all to save uh, the the, uh, the 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 Alabama uh, team? Man, I mean, you know, nobody saw it coming. Uh, I heard one commentator even say this is this is kind of where he where he went down and where Tua picked up and 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 he gets to kind of come back in at the last moment and. Uh, and save the day. So pretty, pretty, pretty big win for them. That's for sure. You know, as I listen to you there, I kind of see sort of an eschatological slant. Okay. To the fact that <laughs> uh, if, anybody, if anybody would, in. if anybody would see it that way, I know that you would. <laughs> well, you know how the, the old adage in the old adage in any any sports is that you got to be ready when they call your number. Ah, right. That's good. That's good. And yeah. uh, what does our what does our Lord say? You know, He's going to come back at a time when we don't expect. Right. Right. So you got to be ready when the Lord calls your number. Right. Right. And uh, <laughs> but, but unlike sports, when your number may or may not get called, right. well, we know in life, everybody's number is going to get called. Yeah. You're going to get called. So uh, I just thought, thought I'd throw that in there, man. It just That's occurred good. to me as I was listening to you there. You got to be ready uh, when the Lord calls your number. That's or good. Your name. That's good. So, That's I, good. Appreciate that's the props there, Bert. Yeah, yeah. That's not. I mean, who, I mean, if if anybody you gotta, you gotta come be, from, hey, yeah, you gotta be on your toes with me, man. You gotta be on your toes. You gotta, 
I'm doing the eye, I'm doing the eye thing with the fingers, man. You got to stay with me, bro. You I'm, 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 listen, listen. I tr- I try my best, bro. I try my best, man. There's no doubt about it. I I know I got to be on my A game when I get with you. It's all good, no doubt about don't it. Be on your A game, bro. Don't be sleeping on me, man. Don't, don't be sleeping on me, now. Don't be sleeping on me out there in Nebraska. No, 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 no. Well, man, we've got we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, man. As we jump into our topic for today, man, as, as I was kind of, uh, I know, and, and I, I think you do the same thing. You, you correct me if I'm wrong every, every day in the morning, kind of one of my morning kind of rituals, get up, kind of pray and, and, and kind of focus. And, and, and here lately I've been, been trying to hit the gym a little bit. And, uh, uh, but by the time I get home, getting ready for the, getting ready to shower up and everything, I usually, I usually turn on the briefing. And uh, mm-hmm. listen to Al Mohler's briefing. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I had first heard uh, th- th- about the story uh, that we're going to talk about in some great detail uh, on the briefing. The thing that I'm excited about is I know you come from a kind of a biblical counseling background. I don't know if our, if our listeners know mm-hmm. that, uh, if, mm-hmm. if they understand that and kind of what you, A, what that takes, what that entails, uh, as far as the as far as the study, the preparation, and, and getting, uh, you know, certified and, and, and qualified to do that uh, entails. But 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 as as I look at kind of the culture and, and and what's going on, man, I'm just seeing some things that we have got to be ready and prepared to address from a biblical point of view. Uh, now, Dr. Moeller kind of dealt with this from more of a political. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, perspective, and and he, mm-hmm. you know, he dealt from it from a sociological perspective. I'm excited uh, at, at the direction that I think we're we're going to go with this, and I'm anxious to hear <clears throat> your thoughts. Uh, the, the the subject is about a Texas mom uh, who has a one she's divorced, and she has a there's a six year old boy kind of caught in the middle of of a custody battle, and, and that while that situation, mm-hmm. as I saw it, is not is not is not uncommon. I think the nature of this battle is uncommon. At least it is currently uncommon, and uh, and and we kind of we we have to kind of look at it from a number of different angles. So the the issue is that the six year old boy, uh, you know, operates as a transgender. Uh, the boy operates as a, as a girl when he's at home with mom. Uh, operates and functions as a boy when he's at home with dad with this shared custody and the mother sees mm-hmm. an opportunity to kind of kind of leverage the culture and the cultural context that we're currently in uh, and 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 as suing as as a child abuse suing the father of this little boy uh, on the grounds of, of child abuse and that he won't affirm uh, this young boy's transgenderism, and so uh, something I saw and 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 looked at, and then when we got together, it's something that you you really took to heart, uh, and really began spending some time kind of delving into this from a from a unique perspective that I think we'll we'll unpack tonight. What 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 are your thoughts about this as we tee this up? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning the sort of uh, biblical counseling tenor mm-hmm. that this whole story has, and I think. Uh, uh, you're right in that when I initially came across this story and my response to it, I sort of automatically went into biblical counseling mode. Right. right. Uh, and the 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 thing that separates biblical counseling from secular counseling, and I would even say biblical counseling from Christian counseling, mm-hmm. because not all Christian counseling, quote unquote, is biblical. Right. Uh, the thing about biblical counseling is that it always goes to the root of the issue. And as we know, the root of every issue is sin. 
Absolutely. The root of every issue is sin. So we already know what the fundamental cornerstone problem is. That's sin. Mm-hmm. Now, that sin manifests itself in different ways. Uh, it manifests itself in different issues, mm-hmm. specific issues. But the root problem is always the heart. Yeah. It's always the condition of the heart. And we see that here most disturbingly, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, uh, to, if I may speak bluntly, this is a disturbing situation in what this Texas mother is forcing her son to do for how in the manner in which she is forcing him to live in this duality and this sort of dualism that as we'll talk through in this episode, he wants no part of right. The, the child doesn't. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, we must apply and we're going to try to do our best to do that as we always do on the just thinking podcast to mm-hmm. apply objectively the truth of the gospel to this situation and uh, I, I pray that God will be glorified as we as we attempt to do that uh, in this episode. Absolutely. Well, I, I saw this. I saw this article uh, on on Daily Wire as I was kind of perusing. I, I like I said, I'd heard it initially on um, uh, on on Al Mohler's the briefing. And so, a, as I normally do, if I hear a topic or subject that that interests me uh, from what he shares, you know, a lot of times as I'm as I'm prepping, kind of to go to work, I'll kind of. I'll look for kind of some original sourcing and, and maybe some some articles on it. I, I think I think where you pulled this from was was interesting because it took on uh, the perspective of someone who had been through kind of a transgender process themselves and had 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 come out on the other side. But uh, I, I don't want to give too much away. But but I do want to kind of tee up what you know, where 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 we looked at that, that there were a number of sources uh, that people can kind of go to to see. Um, a the facts of the story, and then B mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe some of the issues related to it that they can kind of take a look at as well. So, yeah, so I originally came across this story in an article uh, that was posted on a website called LegalInsurrection.com. That's mm-hmm. LegalInsurrection.com. The article was titled "Texas Mom Says Six-Year-Old Boy Is Transgender, Dad Disagrees, and Could Lose Custody." And I want to quote real quick from that article that kind of sets the stage of what the background is uh, in this whole situation. Quote, uh, this is from the Legal Insurrection uh, website. Quote, a six-year-old boy in Texas is at the center of a custody battle which is focused on his gender. The child was born male, but his his mother insists he identifies as a girl and she dresses him as one. When he is at his father's house, the child dresses as a boy and is happy to do so. Mm-hmm. The mother is a pediatrician and is suing to remove the father's rights. She is also planning to begin the process of chemical castration on the boy mm. through hormone blockers. When the boy turns eight unquote. Wow. Now that's enough right there. To, for instance, if you're driving and listening to this episode, to have you pull over mm. and just stop the car. Mm-hmm. Especially that last sentence. The mother is also planning to begin the process of chemical castration on the boy through hormone blockers when the boy turns eight. Mm. Now, the boy is six years old right now, but she's already got plans for the boy yeah. when he turns eight even more extreme plans than she has for him right now. Mm-hmm. Now, 
that article at legalinsurrection.com also cites and links to another article about the situation on the website, The Federalist, that was written by a gentleman by the name of Walter Heyer. And this is the gentleman you were alluding to right. earlier, Omaha. Heyer is a man who, according to the article at Legal Insurrection, quote, was born male, transitioned to female, and then back to male, unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the article that Walter Heyer, his last name is spelled H-E-Y-E-R, in his article on the Federalist, Heyer writes this, quote, I learned of James's plight. I'm assuming that that's the young boy's name. Right. First name, anyway. I learned of James's plight on a recent visit to Plano, Texas, where I spoke to teenagers about my own transgender story. I lived through a similar scenario when I was his age. Mm. I was cross-dressed for two and a half years by my grandmother who made a purple chiffon dress for me, somewhat like James. My cross-dressing occurred under one adult's care, but away from grandma's, I was all boy with my mom and dad. Also, just like James, I found my way into the office of a gender therapist who quickly started me toward transition. When his mother, a pediatrician, took James for counseling, she chose a gender transition therapist who diagnosed him with gender dysphoria, Mm. a mental conflict between physical sex and perceived gender. Perceived gender is the operative Mm -hmm. word there. Mm -hmm. James's precious young life hinges purely on the diagnosis of gender dysphoria by a therapist who wraps herself in rainbow colors, Mm. affirms the diagnosis of gender dysphoria, and dismisses evidence to the contrary. Remove the quote-unquote rainbow from James's diagnosis, and it crumbles under the weight of the criteria for the diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Mm. The diagnosis is critical because labeling a child with gender dysphoria can trigger a series of physical and mental consequences for the child and has legal ramifications in the ongoing custody case. Mm. Get it wrong, and young James's life is irrevocably harmed. Unquote. Yeah. yeah. Now, that was Walter Heyer in an article <clears throat> he wrote on The Federalist on this situation. Mm-hmm. Now, with all that as background, with the quote from the Legal Insurrection article, with uh, Mr. Heyer's comments from the article in The Federalist, with all that background, as background, I want to take a moment to make clear to those who are listening to this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast that our goal in addressing this topic is not to condemn anyone involved in this situation. Mm. I want to say that up front. We're not here to condemn anyone involved in this situation, neither the mother, the father, nor the child. Right. No one. We're not trying to condemn anyone. But in saying that, please note what I did not say. I did not say that it is not our intention to judge anyone. That's good. I fully intend. Yeah, I fully intend to make judgments in this situation. And I say that on the basis of Jesus's admonition to us in John chapter seven, verse 24, mm-hmm. Jesus's own words in John seven twenty four: do not judge according to appearance, but judge with 
righteous judgment. Right. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, in an effort to establish some context, because undoubtedly this always happens, mm-hmm. undoubtedly there will be someone who is listening to this episode who will hear what I just said, but who will not comprehend what I just said. <laughs> So let me take a moment to provide some additional context around what I just said. Right. The word judge in John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. The word judge there is the Greek verb krino, K-R-I-N-O, which means to determine, to resolve, to decree. But more fundamentally, the verb krino means to pronounce or render an opinion concerning right and wrong. Mm. That's what the word judge, that's how that word judge in John 7, 24 literally translates. Mm-hmm. It means to pronounce or render an opinion concerning right and wrong. It is the same Greek verb, krino, that is found in Matthew 7, 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. One of the most misapplied, misunderstood, uh, right. miscontextualized verses in the entire Bible mm-hmm. is Matthew 7 1. As if that were the only verse in the chapter. Right, right. But, you know, so contrary to what many professing Christians believe, primarily as a result of their hermeneutical misre- misrepresentations of Matthew 7 1, Jesus is not saying either in Matthew 7, 1 or John 7, 24, that Christians are never to judge, Mm -hmm. that we are never to offer a discerning opinion or draw discerning conclusions about a matter, such as the one we're discussing in this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast. In fact, Jesus wants us to do exactly the opposite. So you see, when you understand John 7, 24 in context, you realize that the text Jesus, in that text, Jesus is not commanding believers not to judge, but is instructing them on how to judge. Amen. On how to judge. On how <clears throat> to form an opinion concerning right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So the key word again in that text is the word but, right? We saw it earlier. Let me just mm-hmm. repeat the verse again. John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So the key word in that text is the word, but it is a word that bridges together the words that precede the comma, do not judge according to appearance, and the words that come after the comma, judge with righteous judgment. Mm-hmm. Now, the phrase <clears throat> righteous judgment means that as believers, we are to filter our perception of such issues as the one we're talking about in this episode. We're to, pers- we're to filter our perception of such issues through the objective truth of God's word. And having done that, to form and make spiritually discerning opinions and draw spiritually discerning conclusions mm-hmm. accordingly without condemnation mm-hmm. that is without passing sentence that's really as good. that right is reserved for god alone mm-hmm. so yes we can make we can draw spiritually discerning opinions objectively 
biblical opinions, but without condemnation, without passing that final sentence, because the right to do that be- belongs to God alone. Matthew 10, 28. Let me just read that real quick. Matthew 10, 28. Just to give, again, some additional context, because context is going to be key mm-hmm. in this conversation that we're having here on this tonight. So Matthew 10, 28. Making the distinction between the fact that believers are permitted to judge, but we are not permitted to fast to pass final condemnation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, reading from the non-Arminian standard version. <laughs> do not fear those. This is Jesus talking. Do not fear those who kill the body. Yes. But are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm-hmm. Now, only God can do that. Only God can do that. Another verse is Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Luke chapter 12, verse 5, again, reading from the non-Arminian standard <laughs> Bible. <laughs> but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So man does not have the authority to do that. Mankind does not have the authority to render a final condemnation, a final condemnatory sentence mm-hmm. on anyone. Mm-hmm. But according to John 7, 24, Matthew 7, 1, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Believers are permitted to make spiritually discerning opinions and conclusions concerning right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, all that to say this. All that to say this, and this is important given the subject matter with which which we're dealing in this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast. All that to say that it is critical that Christians understand that there is a distinction to be made between judging someone and condemning them. Mm -hmm. Scripture is clear that believers are permitted to judge but that we are to do so through the prism of God's objective truth, Mm. which is inherently immutable in its universal and equitable application to every person. We are to judge in accordance with God's objective truth, not according to our subjective and changeable and sin-tainted perspective. Anything you want to add here, Omaha? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that two things. One, I think it's important to walk through this because when we deal with these, with these, this kind of subject matter uh, in the culture, the first flag they're going to throw up is you're judging, you're condemning, absolutely, you know, and, absolutely, and, and, and the confusion begins from the gate. And so, as, as, as a, as a precautionary measure, I think it's important for, for believers to walk through everything that you just helped us to understand so that we're so that we can we can you know we can walk people through a proper understanding of what the bible is actually saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it talks about the issue of of, of judgment jesus in, in matthew 7 1 was actually dealing with hypocritical judgment Bingo. you know mm-hmm. the, the, the hypocritical judgment of the pharisees this is this is during when when uh when, when he, he's he's talking about that 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 we as believers or those who are listening uh, to him on his sermon on the mount need to have a righteousness that surpassed that of 
the Pharisees, if they were to receive eternal life, if they were to be righteous and they were trying to understand the difference between what what the, the, what they believed the Pharisees were saying and what the Pharisees were actually saying. Well, the Pharisees were actually telling them walk in the law while they were doing all the wrong things. And right. Jesus was, was simply was simply wanted them to know that's not the way to do this thing. The way right. to do this thing is to make righteous judgment and then to walk uprightly, to walk righteously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and and so for for us to come away from Matthew seven one believing that that no one is to make a judgment just just does not compute does not comport with with what with what the scripture is actually with what the scripture is actually sharing there I think this is an important message to bring and I know we've taken quite a bit of time to state it but I think it needs to be stated and I think people need to understand it so that when they're having conversations around this subject matter, they're able to navigate it well. And we might as well tee people up from the get-go that, uh, that, that this, this is going to be an extra long episode. This is going to be, a, this yeah. is gonna be yeah. we're going to take some time to walk through this because this issue is not going away. This issue will be more and more prevalent in the culture. And, and I think as believers, we've got to be equipped to navigate this well. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, Omaha. And, uh, you know, the thing that this issue reminds me of. It reminds me of how critical it is that believers must understand the word of God in context. Mm. Context is what is missing to a great extent among the body of Christ with regard to understanding and applying God's word. I'll never forget uh, hearing a brother say once I was a men's, uh, I was away at a men's uh, retreat once and uh, it was Dan Dumas of the Southern Seminary and uh, Dan Dumas said that the three most important things when studying God's word are number one, context, number two, context, number three, context. Mm. So, yeah, we took the time to uh, to to uh, at, at this point in the episode, it was necessary yeah. to take that time mm-hmm. to establish a contextual framework for what we're going to talk about here, because apart from context, it's just noise. Right. It's just noise. And the last thing we want to do on the Just Thinking broadcast is take up listeners' time with noise. Mm, that's uh, good. So we don't want to do that. We we, yeah. we want to address every episode we do, we want to speak to the issues that we address in the in context, not, not just turning pages in the Bible, but we want to apply these scriptures, we want to apply these texts in context. Okay. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that, Omaha. So mm-hmm. as we delve into what is a very, very sensitive topic. Uh, I just want to mention at this point that we I want to respectfully advise our listeners to not play this episode within the hearing of young children. This is an episode that's going to be, as the uh, wording goes, parental discretion right. advised. Right. Uh, so please do not listen to this episode within the hearing of young children. We want everyone to know that it is our heartfelt desire to speak the truth in love on this matter in accordance with Ephesians 4.15. Mm-hmm. We want to speak the truth in love on this matter, uh, but that is at this point, if you've got young children around, it will be a good time to maybe hit pause, make sure that your young children are not within earshot mm-hmm. of this episode, but because this is very mature subject matter that we're dealing with here. Um, now, Speaking of speaking the truth in love, I want to open our discussion with a quote by one of the most respected, speaking of biblical counselor, Omaha, mm-hmm. one of the most widely respected within the body of Christ, biblical counselors that there is, that there is uh, today, Dr. Edward T. Welch. Mm-hmm. I want to begin our discussion here, sort of our deep dive into this issue, quoting from 
Dr. Welch's book, Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. Mm. Dr. Welch says this. He says, suffering and sin are the sum of human struggles. This means that we need one another in our struggles with sin and temptation. Mm. James wrote his final words on these very matters. Quote, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So mm-hmm. we'll just quoting James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. Welsh continues, the phrase save his soul from death and potentially head off a future avalanche of sin. No one uses that kind of language with suffering. Mm. Suffering hurts more, but sin is more serious. Suffering will not last, but sin has consequences that reach into eternity. In other words, when we put sin off limits, we cannot defend ourselves as being polite people who merely avoid meddling. Rather, we are Pharisees who, during a leisurely walk, avoid eye contact with the dying person we almost trip over. Mm. We are neglecting matters of life and death. If we ignore our brothers and sisters' sins, we have sinned against them, and we should ask their forgiveness. We need to move toward fellow sinners. We are family, after all, and we know the perilous nature of a life apart from God. Mm. (coughs) Excuse me. Mm-hmm. That's really what this this conversation that you and I are having in Omaha is all about. It really is because Welch is right. We know the perilous nature of a life apart from God. Now that mm-hmm. phrase, I love that phrase. Welch used the perilous nature of a life apart from God. I mean, what a sobering and weighty statement that is. Yeah, you really is. think about it. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, this perilous nature of a life apart from God. I kind of see that depicted rather bluntly, really, by Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verse 36. This is Jesus himself speaking. Listen to this verse against the background of what Dr. Welch describes as a, a, a the perilous nature of a life apart from God. Jesus says this in John three thirty-six: He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mm-hmm. The wrath, the unbeliever in Christ has the wrath of God abiding on them right now. Mm-hmm. That is the perilous nature of a life apart from God. Now, it is that mother, it is that this mother fails to recognize not only the temporal implications and ramifications of her decision, right, right, but the eternal spiritual ramifications as well that upsets me most about what she is intentionally and deliberately doing to this young boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is obvious to me that she is not a believer. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the father is either, but I at least give the father credit for wanting to raise his child under the biological and physiological reality that the child's sex is male. Mm -hmm. Hence, he is a boy and should be reared as such. Now, 
as I look at the situation through the lens of scripture, it is yet another example of a parent who arrogantly believes that their children belong to them. Yes. Now I'm about to upset some folks right, right here. Yeah. But that's what I do. Apparently I just mm-hmm. upset people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking truth. But as I look at the situation, this is just a glaring example of a parent who arrogant, be- arrogantly believes that she can just do what she wants with the child because she thinks the child belongs to her. Mm-hmm. She believes that this young boy is her property, so to speak, simply by virtue of her having the responsibility of rearing him and providing for him. A lot of parents feel this way. Mm -hmm. They believe that their children, they're convinced their children belong to them Mm. simply by virtue of their having the responsibility of rearing them and providing for them. Mm -hmm. See, I got some breaking news for those kind of parents. (laughs) I got some breaking news for you. Your children are not your property. Mm. Your children are not your property. In that sense, your children do not belong to you. Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. Right. Breaking right. news. Your children do not belong to you. Yeah. You want to add something there, Omaha? I do, man. There, there are two things that you stated that I think are really key for us to consider and think about. And I think the first part of that is it is it is everyone's natural Uh, inclination when you hear a story like this to think about the temporal implications you know when when Mm -hmm. he talked about about this child the the mother is is seeking to investigate chemical castration for the boy with with the hormone blockers and all of that kind of thing you you think about the the effects of that on his on his body uh the effect of that upon you know how that changes the makeup of a person uh, how how the physiological aspects of growth uh, are going to mm-hmm. be determined. I mean, you think about all of that. How is this young boy now going to going to navigate life? What if he changes his mind? What does marriage look like? So we have a tendency very quickly to think about all of the temporal implications, um, but but we're not horrified by the spiritual implications mm-hmm. of what's taking place. So I think that I think that was an important statement to make. And, and then and then secondly what you talked about with regard to property and how these two parents have just played this child like a piece of property. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, at least, at least in the case from, from what we're reading uh, of the mother, there are always two sides to a story, mm-hmm. but, but she, she's using this issue as leverage as she treats the child like property in an effort mm-hmm. to, 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 to have one upmanship to kind of win, mm-hmm. win the day rather than mm-hmm. considering the fact that at the end of the day, this is the child's biological father with whom he needs connectivity and connection. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's, 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 a, I mean, it, it's sad, but I think those two points that you make at this, at this juncture are really, really critical for us to apply to, to the real world situation as we view it. And, and it's so important that, parents understand especially in this situation because remember this mother is already planning mm-hmm. to have this young boy chemically castrated mm-hmm. in two years mm-hmm. when he turns eight years old this is a parent who is operating within the paradigm that this child is mine right not she doesn't even give any sense of ownership for lack of a better word of the child to his biological father. Right. She's robbed the boy even from him. Mm -hmm. So this starts off with a totally, totally warped 
idea of parenthood. Mm-hmm. She thinks the boy is her property. So much so that she's suing the biological father to have his parental rights removed. Yeah. So again, parents, and I don't apologize for saying this. Mm-hmm. Your children do not belong to you. Now to put this fact in greater biblical perspective, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to quote from the book, the battle for the biblical family. Wow. So we'll call the battle for the biblical family by Dr. George Scipione. Dr. Scipione is the director of the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, uh, known as IBCD. Mm -hmm. Dr. Scipione has been involved with biblical counseling for more than 50 years. And he writes this in the book, The Battle for the Biblical Family, in the chapter, God Looks at Children. Let me quote from Dr. Scipione from that chapter, from the book, The Battle for the Biblical Family. Quote, Man is the image of God. A son is the image of his father. The parallel between the imaging, quote unquote, of divine creation and that of human procreation or imaging is important. Children do not become, but are the image bearers of God. Mm -hmm. Repeat that. Children do not become but are the image bearers of God. Likewise, children do not become like their parents only through teaching and modeling, but are like them by virtue of conception. Mm. Listen to this point Dr. Cipriano makes. God gives children, he says. God gives children. Conception is not a mechanical, naturalistic phenomenon. A closed womb to a married couple desiring children brings suffering. Mm. A childless couple suffers. Childlessness does not negate a marriage, but it is a burden that God's kindness overcomes. Mm. God views children as a good gift, a blessing that he gives to his people. Mm -hmm. Unquote. That's good. Dr. Scipio says God gives children. Now, that is a visage of this six-year-old boy that this mother does not have. Yeah. She does not view her role as a mother through that lens, and as evidenced by the fact that she has totally taken over this boy's totally total existence yeah. in this world mm-hmm. and is doing whatever she wants with him. But as Dr. Scipion mentioned, children are a good gift, he said, mm-hmm. a blessing that God gives to his people. Now, Scripture mm-hmm. is clear. Scripture is clear that children are a, quote, gift from the Lord and that, quote, the fruit of the womb is a, fruit of the womb is a reward. We see that in Psalm 127.3. Mm-hmm. Psalm 127.3 makes two things abundantly clear. When you when you read that verse in context, it makes two things abundantly clear. Number one, that children are from God, right? That the verse reads that children are a gift from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So number one, that children are from God means they were and are his possession before they were yours. Yes. Anything that comes from some someone to you means it was theirs first 
okay? Then number two, that children are a reward means that no child, regardless of circumstances in which he or she is conceived or the socioeconomic status, station or, or status into which he or she is born, no child exists apart from God's sovereign will or divine intent. That's good. So in Psalm 127.3, you have those two things that are unambiguously clear. Right. The children are from God means they were and are his possession, Mm -hmm. not yours. Mm -hmm. And then number two, that children are described as a reward means that no child, again, regardless of circumstances in which he or she is conceived or the socioeconomic station in which they are born, no child exists apart from God's sovereign will or his divine intent. Now, case in point is Eve. Eve, mm-hmm. whose name means mother of all the living. Right. Eve, <clears throat> way back in Genesis 3, verse 20. Now, consider these words of Eve in Genesis chapter 4, 1. Eve, her existence goes all the way back to Genesis 3. But listen to what Eve says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, quote, I have gotten a man child. That is a male child. I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Yes. She didn't just say, I have gotten a man child. Mm -hmm. I have done this. I have accomplished this. No. Eve, the very first woman in human history, to ever give birth clearly acknowledges that apart from God's sovereign omniscience and omnipotence, she would not have been able to conceive a child. She says, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. On that note, I want to quote from our favorite, mutually favorite Mm -hmm. biblical commentator, Matthew Henry. Yeah. Matthew Henry in commenting on Genesis four said this, Children are God's gifts, and God must be acknowledged when our families are built up. It doubles and blesses our comfort in them when we see them coming to us from the hand of God, Mm -hmm. who will not abandon the works and gifts of his own hands. Yes. So even Matthew Henry is reiterating the truth that children are a gift from the Lord. Even Eve Recognize this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Now, another example is Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who, like Eve, understood this fully. She understood that children come from God. Yes. Listen to what Hannah, listen to, to uh, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 1, verses 9 through 11. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, that is Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maid servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now, 
Note the words in this text that point to God, not to Hannah or her husband, as both the source and ultimate fulfillment of her desire to have a child. She prayed to the Lord. She made a vow and said to the Lord, if you will look upon me and remember me and not forget me, but will give, right, from the Lord, will give your maidservant a son. But not only that, Hannah vowed to give her son to the Lord all the days of his life. Mm-hmm. Now, it is important here that we understand what Hannah, Hannah actually meant when she vowed to, quote unquote, give to the Lord all the days of his life, the son for whom she was petitioning him. The word give in that sentence is the Hebrew word Nathan. You spell it just like the English word Nathan. N-A-T-H-A-N is pronounced Nathan. That word give is the Hebrew verb Nathan, which can be translated to bestow, to devote, to consecrate, to dedicate. But it can likewise mean to entrust, to ascribe, to commit. Hannah, in this situation, the text we just read in 1 Samuel, Hannah is not offering God a quid pro quo. That's good. She's not offering God a, a, an offer, hey, favor for favor. Mm-hmm. She's not offering God a favor for favor offer. Well, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's mm-hmm. not what she's doing here. What Hannah is doing is what every parent is obligated to do. Commit to rearing their children in such a way as to honor the God from whom those children were given as gifts. Yes. That's what Hannah is doing. That's what she's doing here. She's not making a deal with God. Mm-hmm. She's committing to God. Lord, if you will give me, if you will answer my prayer, if you will give me this desire of my heart, I will honor you by rearing him in such a way that will give honor to you. Mm-hmm. Now that's what this mother in Texas is neither doing nor apparently desires to do. She has no desire to honor God in how she is rearing this young six-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. You got anything on this? All I want to do is amplify, man, what what you're sharing there. And I think it's important for our listeners as they listened uh, to you kind of unpack that scripturally, what, what, what we're doing. I mean, what, what Daryl, you, you're putting together, is really a, a a systematic, if you will, a doctrine, if you will, of of what we need to do, a teaching, if you will, of what of a you're dealing you're dealing with anthropology. Who are we as human beings, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. image bearers of God, and 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 based upon our uh, the fact that we bear God's image, what is the obligation that we have, one for ourselves, and then for that which God blesses us to have in the way of children. Uh, it automatically drew me to, you know, the the uh, the Westminster Catechism that asked the mm-hmm. asked the question, what is the what is the chief mm-hmm. end of man? And and we know that the mm-hmm. chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so, mm-hmm. as we are blessed with children, we have got to ask ourselves the question: Are we ensuring that our children know how to glorify God so that they can enjoy Him forever? Mm-hmm. And when you put what this family is doing, what this mother in particular is doing against the backdrop of those truths, you can see how this is already falling apart. It's already falling apart. Absolutely great point. And we, a matter of fact, we're going to make that same point here in just a moment. I mean, you, you can imagine this six-year-old boy is not enjoying life. Mm-mm. He's not enjoying life. 
No. Not only is he not enjoying life, he's not enjoying God because he doesn't know him. Right. Because his mother, and I don't know to what extent his father is, but apparently his mother, evidently, Mm -hmm. is not exposing him to the God who created him. Right. And that's a gross, egregious sin. Mm. An egregious sin. I want to quote again from Dr. Cipriano's book, again, The Battle for the Biblical Family. Dr. Cipriano says this, quote, and I wish this mother could hear this. I wish this mother could hear this. But Dr. Cipriano says this. He says, God forbids you to corrupt your children by dedicating them to another God, law system, or lifestyle, or by allowing pagans or paganism to influence them. Mm -hmm. Let me read that sentence again. I've got more to quote from Dr. Cipriano, but I want to repeat that sentence. Dr. Scipion says, God forbids you as a parent to corrupt your children by dedicating them to another God, law system, or lifestyle, or by allowing pagans or paganism to influence them. God demands that you train them and not sinfully ignore them. Mm -hmm. All human growth should move a person closer to the goal of being like Jesus. Mm-hmm. While not indifferent to skills useful for general cultural activities, God emphasizes character development and godliness. Just as a child develops day by day through proper nourishment and by trusting his parents' direction in his life, so we mature by abiding in Christ and his love, obeying God's commands, dying to self, and producing much fruit. The sinful rebel's goal, Dr. Cyprian writes, the sinful rebel's goal, on the contrary, is to avoid maturity by usurping God's authority and defining his own path of wisdom. Yes. That's exactly what this mother is doing. Mm -hmm. She is usurping God's authority and defining her own path of wisdom. Mm. The mother of this six-year-old boy is an example of the sinful rebel about whom God, uh, Dr. Scipion is speaking. Mm-hmm. Now, in saying that, I'm not condemning her to hell, okay? So I'm asking our listeners to please do not hear something I am not saying. Right. Nevertheless, I am completely comfortable referring to this mother as a sinful rebel, to quote Dr. Scipion's phrase. Mm-hmm. She's, a sim- she's a sinful rebel in the context of the righteous judgment Jesus calls us to apply in John 7, 24. Absolutely. You have to go back to that. You have to go back to that. I think that's, I I think that's critically clear. uh, And and we have to go back to what righteous judgment looks like, because you know, you and I both know the moment that you deal with an individual's sin uh, and the effort that we engage in to suppress our sins to suppress the truth rather that we know mm-hmm. of God in unrighteousness, the more and more our claim is going to be that you're, you're, you're judging and that you mm-hmm. have, you know, yep. you're, you're wrong. Yep. You, you can't judge. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it say not mm-hmm. to judge, which takes us mm-hmm. all the way back to, and, and you have to go back there. You have to go mm-hmm. back and remind have to. of what you stated from the beginning, uh, that this is not a condemnation to hell, but that this mm-hmm. is an examination of the of the current you know manner in which they're living their lives and and mm-hmm. and, it, and, it's, and it's examined not against our own uh 
our, our own subjective ideas, but it's, but it's being examined against the backdrop of scripture, uh, of the truth, uh, and, and, of, and of what God says in his word is how we are to respond. A, a couple of thoughts, man, as we kind of wind our time up for, for our folks uh, that, that are on Urban Family. And, and, and that is this. I, as I read through this, as, as, as we walk through this, as read the articles and kind of listening to you walk through this, my hope is twofold. One, that we, that we do examine what we're talking about from a standpoint of, of the cultural issues of the day. And, and we've got to mm-hmm. reflect on those. We've got to examine those. We've got to look at issues of transgenderism and how it's affecting young people, uh, how, how, how two sinners coming together uh, and, and not, not acknowledging God end up in, in, in divorce and, and having to deal with a number mm-hmm. of different issues. But, but I'm also hopeful, and man, I, man, I, I want to give you the, the last maybe, maybe 30, 45 seconds to, to speak to this, how we as believers should also examine what you just shared, the truth of what you just shared about the biblical manner in which we're to understand children and raise them, how that should affect all of us, and how mm-hmm. what we've brought up as a subject, uh, as a backdrop, should also cause us to examine our own lives in light of the truth of what we're reading in God's word. Maybe take about, mm-hmm. about 60 seconds and kind of unpack that piece, if you will, for us before we, before we break. Yeah, I, you know, I remind, I'm reminded of a quote uh, from James Brown that I came across years ago. I was writing an article on something. I came across a quote by James Brown. And Brown says this, he says, you work so hard to feed your family one way with, you know, food, shelter, clothing, material things that you forget to feed them the other way with spiritual Mm -hmm. nourishment. Wow. He said, everybody needs that. Wow. Everybody needs that. You forget, he says, you work so hard to feed your family one way that you forget to feed them the other way Mm -hmm. with spiritual nourishment. Mm -hmm. He said, Mm -hmm. Brown said, everybody needs that. Yeah. And why does everybody need that? Because one day everybody is going to be held to give an account for his life, including this Texas mother. Absolutely. One of the things that that I love about uh, about the biblical counseling framework is that it always as I engage it, as I engage with others like yourself, uh, others who are friends of mine who are involved in in biblical counseling, uh, it always even as we deal with subjects or people or issues or situations, it always causes me to examine my own life against the mm-hmm. backdrop of scripture mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. examine it and say, okay, what, what, what am I missing? What am I, where am I coming up short? How could I be doing a better job aligning myself with the truth of what God's word says, as it pertains to my raising of my children. And, uh, and I'm hopeful, man, that, that it'll create that for, for others. So man, as, as we kind of look at this, brother, I just, I, I again, want to, want to go back to that. It, it, it I'm thinking about not only this couple, not only this situation, not only the what they're taking their child through, but as you've already set up for us, a framework of how we're to understand how God has given us these children, that we have mm-hmm. a responsibility to raise them up in a way that honors him and gives glory mm-hmm. to him, uh, mm-hmm. that we, we have a responsibility to do that ourselves, man. Where, 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 where do we take things? Where do we, where do we, how, how do we, how do we look at this situation even more, even more deeply? Uh, to, to ferret out whatever God would have us to know and understand about this. Yeah. I mean, that's the question. That's mm-hmm. the question. And, and which is why I was so adamant and in, in, in emphasizing the fact that our children don't belong to us. Mm. They don't belong to us. They belong to God from whom they came. 
from whom they came. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, it behooves us. We're obligated as parents. We're obligated, especially as Christian parents, to raise these children up, as you said, Omaha, in the knowledge of God mm-hmm. to whom, because that child, if, you, if you're a parent, regardless how young your child is, that child has a soul. Mm. That child is a soul. That child does not just uh, 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 represent flesh and blood in their existence. They have a soul that one day is going to meet God face to face. Even that that bundle of joy mm-hmm. is going to meet God one day. That should motivate every single parent out there. <coughs> excuse me, to raise, to rear that child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if that doesn't motivate you to do that, if the fact that that child is going to one day meet God doesn't motivate you to do that, then I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Now, I want to go back to uh, Walter Heyer, who, mm-hmm. again, we, we mentioned at the top that Mr. Heyer is, a, 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 is someone who was born male, mm-hmm. Uh, transition to female, then back to male. We 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 sort of cited him earlier, but I want to quote. I want to quote him again uh, from an article. I will link this article in the episode notes, so this will be uh, available to you as you listen to the podcast. Mister Hire in an article on this story that was uh, published on the website The Federalist wrote this. I want, I want to quote Mister Hire. Hire says this quote. The criteria for a diagnosis of childhood gender dysphoria are that a child be persistent, consistent, and insistent about being the opposite sex. James's mom is, quote unquote, all in on the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and assisting with social transition. Mm -hmm. She used the name Luna to enroll him as a girl in the first grade. and provides only female clothes. Meanwhile, dad isn't seeing signs of gender dysphoria. In the father's home, James appears to be a normal boy and doesn't identify as a girl. Mm -hmm. He has a choice of boys or girls clothes there, Mm -hmm. and he chooses to dress as a boy. The fact that James changes gender identity depending on which parent is present makes the diagnosis of gender dysphoria both dubious and harmful. Higher continues, the transition therapist has observed that James is not consistent, insistent, or persistent in the desire to become, quote-unquote, Luna. Mm-hmm. For example, a dossier filled with the Dallas, filed with the Dallas court says that under the skilled eyes of the therapist, the child was presented two pieces of paper, one with the word James and one with the word Luna, and asked to pick the name he preferred. When the appointment only included his mother, James selected Luna, the name and gender he uses at his mother's home and in his first grade classroom. When the appointment was only with his father, however, James pointed to the boy name, James, not the girl name. Mm. The glaring disparity between a child's preferred identity when in the presence of one parent versus the other should cause a therapist to reassess, perhaps 
nullify the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and terminate any steps toward transition. But in the case of James, this hasn't happened, unquote. That's Walter Heyer. Now, what this mother is forcibly doing, this is me talking, Mm -hmm. what this mother is forcibly doing to this boy is nothing short of child abuse, Mm -hmm. as exemplified in the mindset described in Romans 128. Paul writes this in Romans 128, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Mm-hmm. What this mother is doing to this boy is not proper. Mm-hmm. Now, another example of this was recently where the show Good Morning America, which is co-hosted by Sarah Haynes and former NFL player Michael Strahan. Good Morning America recently promoted the appearance on that show of an 11-year-old drag queen, Mm. an 11-year-old child drag queen whose real name is Desmond Napoles, N-A-P-O-L-E-S, but who goes by the stage name Desmond is Amazing. I've seen him. Not long after that appearance on the show, an article on the website lifesitenews.com said this, quote, Good Morning America dubbed Desmond's immersion in the world of drag as an unqualified good. Right. Thank you for, they said this on, on, uh, on Good Morning America, quote, thank you for reminding us all to be who we are on the inside, Sarah wow. Haynes said at the segment's conclusion. Wow. She said, thank you for reminding us all to be who we are on the inside. Mm. Another article on the website called DC Dirty Laundry. DCDirtyLaundry.com said this about that appearance. Quote, in the case of Desmond is amazing. The young boy is clearly being exploited by his parents, both of whom admit that they are unemployed and are using their son to gain attention and some kind of income from the quote unquote shock value of his fame. Mm Mm-hmm. When this isn't enough, when this isn't enough, the two resort to begging for cash on GoFundMe, further revealing just how unfit they are as quote unquote parents. Wow. Wow. What you got on that, Omaha? I just it's it's amazing when you think about how the culture uh tells us as believers, you know. Just expressing our position, our thought process, our worldview, when asked, like when asked, as right. as something yeah. as something horrifying. Um, I, I think of a of a of a situation here recently. It was an article I read about a young lady uh, who really didn't want to get into the transgender debate, and she was at a uh, at a college uh, campus, and she was she was asked. Uh, they were they were trying to vote on I think an LGBTQ group was trying to vote on uh, the issue that where the president of the United States uh, was was going to affirm male and female legislatively, you know, one man, one woman, boy, girl, and from a legislative standpoint. And uh, they were against that. And so they wanted everyone on campus who held a position of authority to kind of be in favor of that. Well, she declined to vote. She simply declined to vote and, and, and mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't advocating against simply declined to vote. And that and that 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 stepping back from advocating for their position caused her to be the object of their wrath. 
Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's one of those things where we're being told that we're bullying when we simply uh, express our our worldview, when we when we express you know Christ, when we express a biblical worldview on a particular issue, we're bullying. Here you have not only a mother, but shows with with mass appeal like Good Morning America amplifying this transgender culture with the Mm -hmm. presupposition that it is in the best interest of us all and then leveraging that from from a from the position of a child so that if you say Mm -hmm. something against the child uh, or or against this issue then you're saying something against the child if if you're saying anything wrong about what they're doing you're, you're you're saying something bad about about a child, and so they, they leverage that for the purpose of of, of advocating a position. It, it's it's mind blowing what's actually happening in the culture, and and I think shows like like what we're doing, the the platform that we have. I think it's important for us to have this conversation. One of the things that I appreciate about the methodical way that we're navigating this, uh, that you're going through each piece of this, is that we're doing so not from emotion, not from anger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not from rage, mm-hmm. but from scripture, mm-hmm. right? We, we, mm-hmm. We're not, we're not mm-hmm. leveraging trite yep. sayings, you know, or, 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 mm-hmm. or, or little one-offs or, you know, they didn't, God didn't create it. Adam and Adam and Steve, he created Adam and Eve. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, I want us to be more biblical in our approach, uh, d- devoid of emotion from the standpoint of presenting truth but operating with the emotion of compassion that you articulated mm-hmm. at the very top of the program. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we've got, we've got to do it that way. So yeah, I, I, I've, I've said a lot kind of went in some circles on this, but, but I, I just appreciate how we're walking through this. And I think it's important for those who follow the program and to listen uh, and, and who listen to us to think through this thing in those kinds of ways. Yeah. I really appreciate what you said there, Omaha, especially the part about how the good morning America episode is an example of how, the uh, society and the world is amplifying this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but in doing so, they're not just amplifying it in the sense that of giving it more exposure, but as they amplifying, as they are amplifying it, they're trying to convince us right. that this behavior is normative. Normative. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a new type of normative. Sarah Haynes, who was a co-host on good morning America actually I mean, she pretty much congratulated this young 11-year-old drag queen boy. Right, right. Thank you for reminding us all to be who we are on the inside. Well, matter of fact, yeah, he does remind us of that, of what we are on the inside. Absolutely. I was, I was, miserable, worthless yeah, I was, sinner. Yes, yes. I, I was thinking that when, when, you, when you quoted the, quoted the statement, I was like, nah, we, we definitely, if, we, if we're going to be what we are on the inside, man, and, and, you have a, and you have a clear biblical understanding of what that is, that, that that's a dangerous thought process because there's some very evil and wicked people out there. Uh, and, and, and the person on, on the microphone is one of them, uh, apart from, and I'm, I'm speaking of myself, apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, man, I am a train wreck. I, I, I never need to be encouraged uh, to be what I am on the inside apart from Christ and him crucified. Amen, brother. Amen. Right. Hey, hey listen, right? that makes, that makes two of us. Yeah. That makes two of us. But I don't really, I don't think Sarah Haynes really understood what she said mm-hmm. in saying those words of congratulations to this young 11 year old boy. Mm. Thank you for reminding us all 
to be who we are on the inside. No, you you don't want to be who you are on the inside. No. If you really know who you are on the inside, innately, who you innately are on the inside, mm-hmm. you don't want to be that. No. You don't want to be that person. Mm-mm. Let me tell you who you are on the inside real quick. Genesis chapter 6. Come on. <clears throat> verse 5. Genesis 6. Verse. Let me just go there real quick. Do it. Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that mm-hmm. every intent of the thoughts yes. of his heart was only evil continually. Mm. The thoughts, let alone the actions mm-hmm. that follow the thoughts. Mm-hmm. The word of God says that every intent of the thoughts of our heart are only evil continually. Yeah. Miss Haynes, that's who we are. On the inside. That's who you are on the inside. Yes. But this fad, this fad of parents, (coughs) excuse me, this fad of parents allowing their God-gifted children to self-identify, quote-unquote, as transgender Mm -hmm. is not something that developed in a vacuum. I want to make this clear. Right. This is not something that just just came out of some big bang, just Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. It didn't develop in a vacuum. It has roots. It has roots in humanistic anti-God beliefs. Yeah. Now, I want our listeners to hang in here. I have a rather lengthy quote, but I think it's so germane to the conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. I want our listeners to listen as I read a passage from the book. It's a book called Christian Philosophy, A Systematic and Narrative Introduction. The book was written by Drs. Craig G. Bartholomew and Dr. Michael Goheen. Dr. Bartholomew is director of the Kirby Lang Institute for Christian Ethics at Tyndall House in Cambridge, England. And Dr. Goheen is director of theological education at the Missional Training Center. And he's also scholar in residence for the Surge Network of Churches in Phoenix, Arizona. They say this in their book on uh, Christian philosophy, quote, if there's a dominant philosophy in North America today, it would probably be either naturalism or pragmatism. Mm-hmm. James Sire argues that on university campuses across North America, naturalism remains dominant. Sire says this, quote, today, naturalism is dominant. There is simply no academic discipline, whether in the arts and humanities, the social sciences or natural sciences, that takes as its starting assumption the notion of a God who has created both the scholars and the world they are studying, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Metaphysical naturalism is the view that only natural objects and properties are real. In such a philosophy, there is no place for the God whom C.S. Lewis describes as the hunter, the warrior, the king, the God who approaches at infinite speed. Mm -hmm. In intellectual circles in North America, some version of naturalism is indeed dominant. As Peter Berger so aptly describes America, it is a nation of Indians ruled by an elite of Swedes. India is the most religious society in the world. Sweden is the most secular. Mm. Despite the flourishing of religious beliefs among Americans, the elite who are trained by the top universities are highly secular and largely determine the direction of the country. Mm -hmm. Do not miss that, listeners. Despite the flourishing of religious belief among Americans, the elite who are trained by the top 
of the country. Mm-hmm. A good question is how pragmatism and postmodernism relate to naturalism. Mm. They seem poles apart, but we would argue are in fact close cousins, if not triplets. <laughs> Modernity and thus naturalism took a severe beating in the 20th century so that the very notion of the quote-unquote real, let alone the possibility of our knowing it, has come into question. Yeah, yeah. The 20th century began with immense hubris and optimism that reason and science would lead us to a utopia. Mm -hmm. Such ill-grounded hope has been trashed again and again. Mm -hmm. And they close with this. World War I, Stalinism, the Great Depression, World War II, the, the nuclear threat, the ecological threat, terrorism, and so we could continue. So devastating has this attack on modernity been that to some it appears that matern- modernity itself has come to an end. According to John Carroll, we live amidst the ruins of the great 500-year epoch of humanism. Hmm. Around us is that colossal wreck. <laughs> Our culture is a flat expanse of rubble. Wow. 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 Man, lot in that statement. I would just simply encourage our, our listeners to go back through. And, and I mean, th- that was that was basically a, a, a treatise on on the, the current culture, how we got where we are exactly. uh, in, in, in about four paragraphs and, and, and really lays out for anyone listening wh- what what caused the fall. I mean, you could you can see this. Uh, you know, you could you could quote my thought immediately goes to uh, to, to Romans one eighteen and following, right? Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> with with regard to this exactly. issue, and, and and then and then lands us in Ephesians chapter two, uh, where our current condition is after the fact, right? Dead in sin and trespass. Exactly. And so, I mean, exactly. He, he just unpacked this in, in some very uh, explicit terms that that I would encourage our listeners to go back and and and, and take a listen to. So. Yeah, that was totally a mic drop statement right, there absolutely, at the end. Absolutely. Uh, by John Carroll. Our culture is a flat expanse of rubble. rubble. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, in reading that quote from uh, the book Christian Philosophy, I was reminded of the Puritan Thomas Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not one of the more well known Puritans, but Thomas Adams said this. He said, quote, That which a man spits against heaven shall fall back on his own face. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That which a man spits against heaven shall fall back on his own face. Yeah. Thomas Adams said, spitting against heaven is exactly what this mother is doing Mm. because she is deliberately and willfully rejecting the image of God in which her son was created. Conversely, now, she is likewise rejecting the biblical admonition of Ephesians 5.33b, mm-hmm. that a wife must, quote, see to it that she respects her husband. Now, if you thought, Omaha, that what I said earlier is going to get me in trouble, mm-hmm. listen to this. Listen to what I'm about to say. Okay. Because it's, it's about to go down. <laughs> now, again, this mother is not only rejecting the image of God, 
in which her son was created. But she's also rejecting the biblical admonition of Ephesians 5.33 that the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Because remember, she's suing to have this father's parental rights removed. Right. This situation is just one example of why when it comes to marriage, I personally, Daryl Harrison, am a complementarian and right. not an egalitarian. Yeah, now you get now you get in tr- now you getting in trouble. See, now, now, yeah, see, yeah, now yeah. they gonna cancel. Yeah, now yeah. they gonna write in and cancel. Say cancel. Y'all need to cancel that podcast. <laughs> right now, now, now it gets real crazy. Now, 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 see, now I'm billboard material. I'm milk carton material. Right. See, now we we need to start a a protest. Get a petition going. Right. To get this justing and broadcast shut down. Shut down. Shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is an example. <laughs> I'm personally complimentary. I'm not an egalitarian when it comes to marriage. Why should this mother, I say that because why why should this mother, why should this mother receive deference over the father in this situation? Mm -hmm. The father adamantly disapproves of what the mother is doing to his son. Right. (coughs) It's his son too. Yet she is now suing him She's soon to have his parental rights. And according to the article at legalinsurrection.com, which I cited at the top of this episode, the mother, again, is also planning to begin the process of chemical castration on the boy through hormone blockers when the boy turns eight. Mm-hmm. Where do the father's rights come in here? Why is she giving deference in this situation over the father? Now, the rearing of children is the response is ultimately the responsibility of both parents. Mm-hmm. However, the primary burden of rearing that child and bringing that child up falls to the father. Mm-hmm. Primary falls to the father. We see that from Ephesians six four. Paul writes. He starts that verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now I know in the context of that verse, it is not saying that that responsibility exclusively or singularly resides with the father. But again, primarily and ultimately it does reside with the father. Mm -hmm. It does reside with the father, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the father is being ostracized, totally ostracized by the mother. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I want you, and again, I know where you're coming from, and and we, like we do always, we never assume that that those who are are listening to the broadcast know every every aspect of what we're talking about. Uh, We also never assume that 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 all all of our listeners are just just you know have been with us forever. That we may have some new listeners. Uh, Those who've been with us a while know what we mean when we say egalitarian and complementarian. I understand those terms, but, but, but would you just kind of for just a moment kind of amplify why you said what you said with regard to that and what that, what that means in this instance? Well, Omaha, I'm going to bounce that one back to you, man, if you don't mind. (laughs) Well, I'll take a sip. Well, I'll take a sip of some water. Do that. Do that. I understand. I understand kind of an egalitarian uh, situation to a, and a complementarian situation is to speak to from a complementarian point of view is to speak to equality 
of, of men and women in the sight of God and that we're created in his image and in his and in his likeness. But but that we have distinctive roles and responsibilities uh, under under the under the, the guise of, of God's order uh, in creation. Uh, that God created the man first and then and then the woman uh, and that it, as a result, man has specific roles and responsibilities and has to answer to God for those. And that women have a responsibility to to complement, to come alongside and complement uh, aspects of, of, of marriage uh, with regard to those with, with specific roles that she has in the rearing of, of the children, uh, in the submission to her husband, that he has a responsibility from a standpoint of providing protection uh, for her. And, and being and being a, a one who provides uh, for her as well as has a responsibility to to, to prophetically declare what thus saith the Lord and, and provide those roles. So those roles are distinct. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, they are they are different, though it doesn't change the, the nature. It's not women are less than uh, they are. We are both as image bearers of God equal uh, from a standpoint of, 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 of having uh, respect, uh, value, dignity and worth. Uh, but that we have differing roles. That's what I understand complementarianism to be. The egalitarian says no, uh, that any role that a man has, a woman can have. Any role that a woman has, a man can have. Uh, that, that they are co-equal in all of their responsibilities uh, and roles. And, and that, 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 that the fact that one has a different gender makes no distinction or difference from, from anything from decision-making to roles of responsibility to protection to provision. And so those lines get blurred from an egalitarian standpoint. Excellent, excellent exposition of those two terms, Omaha. I appreciate you doing that, man. Uh, Excellent, excellent explanation. So as we close, um, I just want to say this. I have no idea. All right. I have no idea what religious paradigm either of these parents happen to subscribe, if any. Mm. Okay. I have no idea. What I do know, however, is that what this mother is doing to this boy is an egregious sin Mm. from which she must repent or face the condemnation of God. And I pray that the Lord will so grace her Mm. to be exposed to the gospel in such a way that she does repent Mm -hmm. of this sin. Mm -hmm. I pray that she will come to faith in Christ and be transformed by the renewing of her mind mm-hmm. because that exactly is what she needs. Yeah. She needs to have her mind renewed and only by receiving this gift of faith in Christ. Can that happen mm-hmm. by faith? Can that happen? Absolutely. I want to wrap up with a couple of quotes here from one quote. I want to know is from Dr. Peter Jones, brilliant man, Mm. absolutely brilliant man. Dr. Peter Jones is the executive director of a ministry called truth exchange. That's the word truth. And then change is spelled exchange is spelled X C H A N G E Mm -hmm. truth exchange. Dr. Peter Jones has a series that I, I came across from listening to this on uh, Ligonier's website. Hmm. Uh, Peter, Dr. Peter Jones has a, a series of messages called Only Two Religions. Mm-hmm. Only Two Religions. And we, I'll be linking to that series of messages in the episode notes 
But in the context of what we've been dealing with in this episode, these messages by Dr. Jones are absolutely must listen to messages. You Mm -hmm. must listen to these if you want a biblical theology of this whole, not just transgenderism, but the whole sexual, uh, uh, um, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but the sort of mores and the milieu that we're in right now with regard to the world's perspective on sex. Dr. Jones says this. He says, the worship of creation rather than the worship of the creator is the reason that ultimately we have sexual perversion. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the overturning of the image of God in man, which is part of the apostasy of paganism in order to dethrone God from his place in the world. Wow. Wow. That's what this is all about. Mm. That's what this is about with this Texas mother. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what she's trying to do is dethrone God. Mm Mm-hmm by overturning the image of God, the principle of the Imago Dei that's present within this boy. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jones is absolutely right. The ultimate goal here of this kind of paganism and sexual perversion is to dethrone God from his place in the world. Mm. Now listen also to another brother who is with Truth Exchange. This is Joseph E. Torres. Torres wrote an article which was absolutely brilliant. I'll be linking this article in the episode notes as well. The article was titled Tolerance and the Church of Oneism. Hmm. Tolerance and the Church of Oneism. Torres writes this, and I'll close with this. Torres writes, quote, The truth says that God is the creator of all things and rules the universe with wisdom, justice, and power. The lie says that the meaning of creation lies within itself mm. and that apart from it, there is no explanation or purpose. Yeah, yeah. Though the lie comes in a multitude of forms, it is always pro autonomy, being a law unto itself. Mm-hmm. And its single work is to oppose the ultimate lordship of one true and living God. I want to read that sentence again. Yeah. Though the lie comes in a multitude of forms, it is always pro-autonomy, being a law unto itself, and its single work, its single work, the single objective, is to oppose the ultimate lordship of one true and living God. Mm-hmm. Torres continues. He says, this quote-unquote orthodoxy rejects the notion that there is an order to reality that is not defined by humanity itself. This has produced great pastoral and theological challenges, such as transgenderism and the emerging danger of trans ability. That is healthy whole people who identify Mm. as physically impaired. Wow. Torres closes with this. The great creedal confession of our day is you do you. That's really good. That's really good. He's right. Yeah, he's right. This is exactly, he's right. Mm -hmm. This mother in Texas testifies to what Torres said. 
-hmm. The great creedal confession of our day is you do you. This yeah. that's exactly what the folks on Good, Mar Good Morning America told this young eleven year old male drag queen. Right. Right. Hey, thank you, thank you for uh, showing us that it's okay to be who we are on the inside. Yeah. That's the creed. That's the credo. That's the confession of the world today. No, you do you. You wow. do you. Wow. This is unbelievable. It is unbelievable and, and, and damaging effects. The reality is, man, that what this, what this should cause us to do as believers, uh, I, I think, are a few things. One, that we know and understand the culture as, as we've kind of taken time to articulate the issues uh, that are at play uh, so that we can be effective in our uh, proclamation of the gospel. But it, it, should, it should also, in turn, show us how necessary the gospel is and and for, and 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 even I, I think even equally important or more important is for us to have make sure that we're living out the gospel implications in our own lives uh this 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 man the time we spent on this has, has caused me to just to reflect on making sure uh that that i'm treating my children uh in the in the god-ordained manner of recognizing they belong to the lord and yep. that I need to do all that I can to train them up in the admonition of, of God, uh, that I have a responsibility to ensure that they know God and that they uh, that they're exposed to what what the gospel has has done in and through our lives. And, and that we should live lives differently as a as a result. Um, and, and then and then two, to be proclaiming that gospel in, in the bold way that we have spent, the, you know, the last hour and a half walking through this kind of information so that people can be equipped to go and then love their neighbor uh, in such a way as to share with them the truth of what's, of what's here, man. This is, this has been an awesome, awesome time, a sobering time. My, my hope is that just from the very top of what you shared would be that, that no one get, came away from this believing uh, that, that the intent of this was to, was to, was to condemn anyone uh, or was to tell someone that they're that they're going to hell, uh, but to expose people to the truth uh, and to the reality of what their current actions uh, require from God, uh, and that apart from repentance uh, and and a turn, that man this this leads to a very destructive end, at least an absolutely destructive end. Mm -hmm. um, and any any other any other thoughts you want to add as we close up for for this uh, session? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to close, Omaha. I'm just thinking about. Wow, that uh, that uh, quote we read from uh, Joseph Torres at, mm -hmm. at uh, Truth Exchange. I mean, he nailed it that the credo, the credo confession uh, today is you do you. Yeah, just do do whatever you want. You just be yourself. Mm -hmm. Just be who you are. Do you just be who you are? Well, let me read. Let me close this man by reading from First Peter chapter four. Let's do it. And let's let's listen to what Peter has to say about folks who just want to do themselves. Do do you? Going to live by that creed of confession that Torres mentioned. I'm going to read First Peter four, verses one through six. Peter writes this: Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live. Here, here's here's the caveat: so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men but for the will of God. Come on, man. Now, that's what Dr. Peter Jones says. There's only two religions. 
There's only two religions according to Dr. Peter Jones of Truth is Change. There are those who live for themselves, and there's those who live for God. There's only two. Only two. And this is exactly what Peter is saying here. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men. So that's one type of person. Right. But for the will of God. And that's the second type of person. Yeah. So there's only two types of people on this planet. Mm -hmm. Verse three, for the time already passed. See, this is this is the you do you part. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. So essentially, Peter saying the time God, but God in his grace has already given you enough time to do you. <laughs> he's been gracious enough. Matter of fact, he's been gracious enough to leave you alive through that phase of your life when you were doing you. Yes. To save you. Mm -hmm. He kept you even through that while mm -hmm. you were doing you for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and abominable idolatries in all this. They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead mm -hmm. for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, that they may live in the spirit according to the word, to the will of God, according mm -hmm. to the will of God. Mm -hmm. You no longer live for the flesh. You live now, According to the will of God, you no longer do you. You do God. Mm -hmm. You Man, do God. That 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 says it. Reminds me of Acts seventeen thirty that all, where where Paul Paul mentions that the Areopagus with the with the craziness of their day. He says that although God overlooked ignorance of earlier times, He now commands all men everywhere to everywhere. Repent repent everywhere to yeah. repent yeah yeah well brother it's been great man walking through this with you i'm hopeful that those who are listening uh, have been edified uh, that this has been an encouragement uh, to them it's very sobering to think through i appreciate the methodical way by which you went through it and i'm hopeful that uh, that god will be glorified uh, in in the hearing for others who uh, who take the time to listen anything else you want to add brother no, I'm done, man. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for exegeting that uh, egalitarian and complementarian. Uh, send all emails to Virgil Walker at. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what's going to happen, Virgil. As right, much right. time as we spent on the other stuff, carefully walking down this issue biblically, right? I'm going to take heat for that one one statement, sort of sidestep. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, it was fun doing the podcast while it lasted, bro. It was it was, it was good, man. Yeah, it was good, good while it lasted. Hey, listen, join <laughs> join, join us back next week for another edition of the Just Thinking Broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us.